And so if you turn to John chapter 20, we'll finish chapter 20. We're getting near the end of this amazing gospel that we started uh, nearly a year and a half ago. But the Lord changes lives. And you can see in the life of the disciples, the apostles, this life-changing transformation. It's the same transformation that every believer ultimately undergoes when we come to faith in Christ. And it is that transformation that allows us to go home to heaven. If you've not had that transformation, then you stay unredeemed. You stay unchanged. You actually stay dead in your trespasses and sins. You stay unable to have eternal life in heaven. You will have eternal life. The question is where? Every soul will live forever. The question is where? Either with God or apart from God. And so John's gospel really shares with us this central truth that happens in this day that really changes the world and so we'll pick up in verse 19 and we'll finish up here in chapter 20 would you pray with me father we thank you we thank you for sending your own son to a manger in Bethlehem so that we might be able to go home forever with you Lord, we pray that your word would transform our lives, encourage us and strengthen us. Help us to hear your voice from heaven. And Lord, I pray, we who believe pray that if there's anyone in this building today that is yet to be transformed by your marvelous grace, that your grace would touch their lives even now to believe in the only begotten Son, to believe in you, Jesus. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Whenever people in John's gospel from this point forward were confronted with the reality of the risen Savior, they were forced to make a decision. You either have to believe it and believe the message that Jesus taught and preached, or you have to ignore it. But the evidence was clear. Jesus is alive. What do you do with that? Does it touch your life? Does it touch our lives? Do we believe or do we not let it touch us? These radical things that happened in the life of the disciples have happened in our lives. How how many people in this room are not what you once were? Amen? Amen? That's the power of the gospel and the salvation and then unto transformation. God doesn't leave us the way we were when we first came to faith in him. Amen? That's part of the glorious news of the gospel, what it actually does. Not only does it save us, but it changes us. Verse 19, and then that same day at evening, so it's the first day of the week as we saw last time. It's Sunday, but now it's in the evening. The first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, 
Shalom. Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. What do you do when you hear the voice of the Lord? What do you do when you see the work of the Lord? How do you respond? That's the question that each of us will have to answer. For me, he's my Lord. When I see these things and hear these things, that's my Lord. That's my king. Jesus is my savior. It's personal to me. When I read this, I read the story of my savior. I've received and believed. That is the whole point of all of scripture. All of scripture points to that decision-making day for every human being. What will you do when you see the truth about Jesus? Doesn't matter how I respond, it matters how you respond. It's not sufficient for me to want salvation for you. You must want it for yourself. They were glad. And so Jesus again said to them, peace to you, shalom to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus is making a transition. He had previously said to them that he was the light of the world. It's one of his I am statements. I am the light of the world. They go ime. I am, that verb to be in the past, present, and tent, the past, present, and future tense. He always has been, always will be, forever will be, all that we need. But he's, a, he's going to let them know, look, this is going to fall on you very shortly. I'm sending you. It's a commissioning, if you will. The word apostle simply means one sent with a commission. They're about to be sent out. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And we'll dig into this in a a little bit. There's a very clear meaning here in the original language that is not so easily translated into English. And now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And so you have the apostles are there together. There's ten of the eleven that are left. And the other disciples therefore said to them, We have seen the said to him, We have seen the Lord. So Thomas is gone when this first chance meeting happens. When Jesus comes into the room. And so he, and that he is Thomas, said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. There may be a few Thomases in the room today. There's two things that I want to say to you, if that's you. Number one, God loves you and understands exactly why you're struggling to believe. 
Number two, he will not force you to believe. He will give you evidence sufficient to give you faith to believe, but he will not force you to believe. You will never be overwhelmingly convinced that the best thing to do intellectually is to believe. And let me clarify what I'm saying. If one can be convinced by simply seeing miracles, then one can be saved by miracles alone. But you are not saved by miracles. You are saved by faith, resulting in God's grace being imparted to your life, bringing about forgiveness of sin, and putting you into God's eternal family. You're not saved because Jesus does miracles. Jesus did the miracles to testify that he was God. So that when he died, people would know that it was God that died. He did not do the miracles to convince everyone that they needed to be one of his disciples. It's a very fine distinction, but it's a very important distinction. Because we do not simply believe because it is intellectually the right thing to do. We believe because we have been given the gift of faith, and that gift of faith causes us to believe on the only begotten Son of God. So be careful. Because sometimes doubt is nothing more than severe unbelief. You don't want to believe. It's not that there isn't evidence that should cause you to think about believing. But you like the darkness, exactly what Jesus said. Matter of fact, you love the darkness, exactly as Jesus said. Thomas was in that place to where he was right on the cusp of believing. And after eight days, disciples were again inside. So now it's Monday, a week later. And Thomas was with them this time. And Jesus came and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Virtually the same situation a week and one day later. And then he said to Thomas, and this is the beauty of the grace of God. He always knows exactly what we need. Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Notice what he says. And what he doesn't say is actually almost as, as important. What is wrong with you, Thomas? I mean, what else do I have to do? I mean, are are you just so completely out of touch with reality and knowledge and wisdom and understanding that, that you can't grasp? No, he says to him, do not be unbelieving, but believing. The issue will always be belief. You are saved by believing in the only begotten Son of God. Not, not by pervasive arguments, persuasive arguments, not by signs and wonders and miracles, 
not by star patterns in the heavens, you are saved by believing in the only begotten Son of God. That's the way it has always been and that's the way it is today. Now we had an apologetics conference not long ago and while that is a wonderful thing to do, defending one's faith is essential to being able to share one's faith but ultimately it's going to come down to faith. Believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, Notice how Jesus responds. And Jesus said to him, verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You get it? Not everybody was going to see Jesus. Matter of fact, the number of people in totality that saw Jesus after his resurrection is a very small number relative to the population of the world today. Amen? Matter of fact, there are none alive today that actually saw Jesus. Amen? And yet there are, conservatively speaking, maybe one and a half billion people on the face of the earth who have believed in the only begotten Son of God. Blessed are they who didn't see Jesus. How do we know about him? The Bible tells us so. The reason that John writes this gospel is so that we can believe. Not so we can be utterly convinced of a bunch of facts, but so that we can have faith to believe. That the mission that Jesus, the Son of God, was on was to save And truly, Jesus did many other signs, verse 30, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, notice this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John tells us the totality of purpose for which the Bible even exists. Specifically, his own gospel. It wasn't just to convey a bunch of miracles. It was to transform people's lives by grace through faith. They had some transformations that happened to them. Notice what they are. They go from fear. They're hiding right now. They're in this room. They're they're actually for fear of the Jews. We're told why, why they're there. They're seriously concerned that they're next to be crucified. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been wanted unto death, but that's not a really happy thought, amen? I'm pretty sure you're probably going to live most of your life like that, hiding, running away. But Christ came to set us free, to bring us out of the darkness and into the light. And here are these frightened men. And notice what he does to give them this courage. The first thing that I see here is that Jesus came to them. Can I tell you that Jesus comes to you too? Jesus came to the disciples. He didn't have to. 
I mean, think about it. All that we've studied through John's gospel, you would think that would be enough already, amen? I mean, what has Jesus done? These are the same guys that were with him when he fed the 5,000. These are the same guys that saw Lazarus raised from the dead. These are the same people that watched the withered hand turn whole. This is the same group of guys that saw the blind man able to see and the lame man walk. There was plenty already done. It was not for lack of evidence, but they needed to be encouraged in their faith. And so what does Jesus do? The same thing he does to you and me, he comes to you. In that moment where you are right where you need to be, Jesus walks into your life and says, oh, by the way, hi, I'm the Savior. And I would love for you to spend eternity with me. And the gospel is preached to you. The good news that you can believe on the only begotten Son of God is preached to you and you believe and you become saved. It's no wonder that Jesus is talking about their unbelief because it wasn't for lack of evidence. They had plenty of evidence. What what other evidence did they need? Very often when I talk to people who are struggling with believing, it's actually not the evidence that's the problem for them. It's the outcome of believing that's the problem. It's like, I'm going to, you mean I'm going to have to change my way of thinking? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jesus is going to actually govern your life. You're going to have to turn over that part. We call it lordship. You say, well, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, I was okay with the Savior part, but the Lord part, I'm not, no, no, let's not take this too far. You see, it's not the evidence. It's the result of what's going to happen. Jesus began this gospel when he spoke about him being the light of the world. He says, men love darkness. You've been Christmas shopping this week? Men love Darkness. I saw a couple in Sam's Club. I mean, I thought, honestly, it's like, man, I hope I don't need to step into this and separate them over these toys that they're going to buy for their kids. They're, they're using the worst profanity imaginable to describe each other's Christmas shopping. It's like it's supposed to be joyous occasion where people are loving each other and showing the love of Christ and they're ready to kill each other. Men love darkness. And they don't like coming to the light because the light shines on their evil deeds and they see them for what they are. They're like, wow, I don't want anybody pointing out my stuff. Jesus came to give us peace. His work on the cross is a work of peace. Jesus is doing these things so that we would be changed because that's what we need. I need to be transformed in the way I think, the way I act. That's the problem with humankind. Oh, we're capable of good. But we're also capable of great evil. The same person that's able to do good is also able to do evil. The second thing I see here is that Jesus reassures them. He just simply says, look. Here's the evidence I paid the price. Here's the reassurance. Thomas, 
you're looking for. He shows the disciples the wounds. He he gives them enough. They still had to make the choice whether what they saw when he died was true or not. Notice he didn't just snatch them off of the earth and take them to heaven and give them like a, a movie of what had transpired over the last three years. He gives them enough to reassure them, yeah, it's me. And the Lord will give you enough to reassure you that it's him. And we know because we're going to see the, the restoration of Peter in the next chapter. Peter wasn't sure, amen? The great apostle Peter was so uncertain that he denies the Lord three times. Two of them, two little girls. You know, it wasn't like he was in front of Pilate. It wasn't like there was the Roman army standing there. It was like, confess or die. He's at a camp out with the little girl at the door. I don't know the man. And he begins to swear. You see, that's the work of unbelief. And so Jesus just simply reassures him. says, look, guys, it's me. The next thing that we see is he's going to actually enable them. Now again, think about this. This is the beauty of the gospel. Would you have enabled any of these guys? Would you have chosen these guys to take the message? These are the people that just finished abandoning you. These are the ones that could not stay awake and pray. This is the guy that just got done denying you. This is the man who runs away in fear. These are the same guys that let the three Marys and Salome beat them to the tomb. You get the picture? They they weren't exactly the cream of the crop. You would have think that Jesus would have gone, you know, you guys had your chance. I'm just going to go find 12 other guys and give it to them. That's how deep the love of the Lord is. He works with our weaknesses and enables us, even in our weakness, to do great things for him. And so he breathes on him. He speaks this ruach to to them, the, the breath of God. And when you go back to the creation account, there's a couple of things that you see. It's actually the same breath that breathes life into the universe breathes life into the disciples. Now we know this is not speaking of the infilling of the Holy Spirit or or the work of the Spirit filling them up to overflowing yet because that's going to happen on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But they are being given the gift of of the Spirit in their life. It's going to dwell in them now. Previously it was with them, around them, But now Jesus is breathing into them this new life. And in doing so, he's not saying, look, you guys now have the power to forgive sin. He's he's literally, this should be correctly translated, whoever sins, whoever sins you remit or forgive have already been forgiven them. And whoever sins are, are being retained are already being retained. You're just the messenger of that truth. 
I'm just the messenger of the truth. You know, sometimes people will come to me and they'll, you know, say, you know, pastor, can you, can you pray for the forgiveness of my sins? I said, well, I can pray with you. I have no power to forgive your sin, period. Forgiveness of sins comes based solely on the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for those sins and you receiving that. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The forgiveness of sin comes from Christ alone, faith in him alone. It does not come from me as a pastor. It doesn't come from someone who says they're a priest. It doesn't come from man at all. It comes from God. Jesus is simply saying, look, if you go talk to people about the good news of the gospel, you can remind them that their sins are forgiven. Tell them what I did on the cross. Because they're going to have a tough time believing it, so you remind them that their sins are forgiven. Anybody in here glad that your sins are forgiven? Amen. Amen. It's what he's saying. So when I get to encourage you, look, your sins are forgiven. I'm telling you what Jesus said about you when you believe in him. That's what he's conveying to the disciples. He's saying, you go tell them their sins are forgiven. If they believe in me, their sins are forgiven. So he enables them to go out with this message, which to you and I, it's like, man, I'm not giving it to those guys. They go from unbelief to confidence. I love this part. Because this is where it starts to look real personal for you and I. Because there was a time when you did not believe, amen? I can tell you there was a time in my life when I did not believe in the only begotten Son of God. I did not believe. I was forced to go to church. I was punished with writing Bible verses. I not only didn't believe, I actually thought God was mean, cruel, and despicable. And then I went through my little period of time where I was pretty sure God was going to vaporize me one day. But I didn't believe. I went through a period of time where I didn't believe God could love somebody like me. I went through a period of time when I thought God loved other people, but he didn't love me. You see, I walked in unbelief. Can I tell you something? The truth about Jesus has not changed. All that unbelief was on me. It was on my understanding. And all of a sudden, the gospel's preached. I'm going, you know what? I believe that. Because that's me coming to faith in Christ. That's me believing. And so then I had confidence that God actually loves sinners. Anybody glad that God loves sinners? Hallelujah. You see see what I'm saying? And when you think about it in that context, it's not about you knowing every answer. It's about you knowing the true and the living God. And Christ is only son. That's actually what the Christmas message is. Jesus came into that little tiny manger, that feed trough, 
so that we could be saved, so that we could have our sins forgiven, not so he could just fix every single one of your problems, not so that he would just heal you from every disease. He did not come to do all of that. Thankfully, he does some of those things as well. But sometimes very wonderful people die of horrific things. Sometimes people who deserve to be well off have nothing. And sometimes people who deserve to have nothing are really well off and everything in between. Jesus said, I have come to give life. And that life is abundant. What kind of life is that? It's the confidence that one day when I step out of this life, this time that we live in, I am going to be forever with the Lord in eternity. That's my confidence. I don't have confidence that all the world's problems are going to be solved. I don't have confidence that there'll never be another major world war. I have no confidence in in the things of this world. I'm grateful things aren't worse than they are. But my confidence is solely in heaven. I have no idea what tomorrow brings. You know, just in case you, you think I have a crystal ball or something, I don't have one of those on my desk. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, no more than you do. But I do know this, one day I'm going to heaven. One day I'm going to heaven. And it so helps me see everything in the right perspective. That's that confidence. That's because I've been transformed from death to life. And when you think about your own life, you think about the the place that you were at. You think about your own unbelief. You see, doubt says, I I cannot believe there's just some problems. But unbelief says, I won't believe, I will not believe unless you give me the evidence that I'm looking for. And Jesus comes along and says, look, I need you to believe. I need you to have faith. I need you to trust me. I've given you enough. It will be enough that you believe. And then I'll help your faith to grow. You see, because the plain fact of the matter is, the Bible says that you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive, amen? I was dead. I was dead physically, and I was dead eternally. Because in case you haven't noticed, every one of you in here is going to die someday. Now, you may live to be 100, 110, you know, you may have your head cryo-frozen in some tank of liquid nitrogen in hopes it'll be brought back. You ain't going to look the same. You know? The fact of the matter is you're dead. You take your first breath, you're on your way to your last breath. That's the truth. Anyone that thinks they're escaping it, Needs to see somebody about that. (laughs) The only question is, what's going to happen when you take that last breath? Where are you going to go? Because you're going to go somewhere. Because you have a spirit that's eternal. 
And that spirit never dies. But you do have a choice as to where that that spirit ends up. And it is that death to life experience that Jesus is referencing when he says a hundred different times, writing through John, that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is how you become saved. Transitioning from death to life. You see, what he's offering us is something that we can't get for ourselves. You can't purchase it. I don't know how many of you saw that, you know, Virgin Galactic finally put their spaceship up to the outer edge of our atmosphere. I think they made it like 56 miles up or something. So the basic edge of space. Now, I was reading this article that you could sign up to have six and a half minutes of weightlessness for a mere $250,000. They're full. They sold every space on the first 10 trips in like 10 minutes. Can I tell you something? That's really expensive fun. And it's not going to last. You're going to get a view of the edge of the earth's curvature. And then you're going to come floating back down. Uh, If you manage to hold the contents of your stomach, that that will be a real bonus on your part. But people are all looking for these experiences like they're going to fulfill them. You remember what Jesus said? What profits it a man if he gains the entire world but loses his soul. That's what Jesus is getting at. You can have eternal life or you can have it right now. All you need to do is believe on the only begotten son. You can in essence in that sense be transformed to eternal life because without him you, you have facing you eternal death. The unsaved person, the lost sinner, is not just simply sick. They're not just simply weak. The person without Christ is spiritually dead. You're a walking dead person. And one day the result of that is going to become very real. Because you're going to take your last breath in that physical body and you're going to wake up in torment. That's not meant to scare you. Not much of a Christmas message. Here's the Christmas message. The free gift of life is yours for the asking. You see, because eternal life, some people often confuse this. They look at eternal life and say, well, I don't really want to live with God forever. I'll usually ask them something like this. Well, what's your alternative? Seriously, think about what you're saying. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What's going to happen? To my knowledge, the only realities I'm aware of is either with him or without him. And the choice is yours. 
Because that eternal life is not just eternal in time. It's eternal in quality. It's eternal in the life that is lived. And so when Jesus is saying, you need to believe, he's saying, that choice determines where you're going to spend eternity and the quality of the life that you will spend. The choice is yours. That's why Jesus said, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, though he physically dies, yet he or she shall live. Why? Eternal life. Found only in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Would you stand with me? It's still the question. It's still the opportunity that awaits every human being. It's still the message of the gospel. That's why John begins there in chapter 3 with this picture of Jesus. And here's this very intelligent man, Nicodemus, who comes to him by night. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, he that believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who has not the Son does not see life, for the wrath of God abides on him forever. That's the choice. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me right now and just simply, if you're here and you already have eternal life, you need to be thanking the Lord right now for it. Amen? Thanking him for that life that we have in Christ. But maybe there are some here today that don't have that life. And I want to offer that to you right now. I realize some of you have been here and for weeks we've been preaching these messages that end with an invitation to the gospel and to eternal life. But that's the purpose of the church. That's what the the apostles were sent to do. That's the mission we're on. It's to preach the gospel until all are saved. And so if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Jeff, I, I, I like you, I've never believed I've been churched. I own a Bible, but I've never invited Christ into my life. If you want to do that right now, just simply slip your hand up in the air wherever you are in the sanctuary. I want to pray with you. See that hand in the back. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Jesus is offering you. See that hand as well in the back. Jesus is offering you. See that hand in the middle. He's offering eternal life right now. He's offering to take you from death to life and give you his heaven. I see that hand too. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? You're being offered a Christmas gift that you can unwrap right now. I see that hand. See that hand and that hand. Praise God. Praise God. Anyone at all? Just slip your hand up. Take another minute. See that hand way back there in the back as well. 
of those of you that raised your hands. The part that's on you is the believing part. And I want to just lead you in a very simple prayer. It has to come from you. I can help you with some selection of some words. Your heart to God. So would you just join me right now? Would you please pray this out loud with me? Church, why don't you help embolden them by all of us praying it because it applies to all of us. Lord Jesus, we confess that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves. We believe that you came to this earth to save us. That you died on Calvary's cross for our sins. We accept the gift of eternal life right now. We ask that you would keep us from sin. Thank you for forgiving our sin. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for loving us and writing our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. We look forward to seeing you in our home in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.